Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Honoring those who are making a difference in our world. The new Thought Walden Awards are given to those who use empowering spiritual ideas and philosophies to change lives and make our planet a better place. Here's an exclusive interview with one of the 2020 honorees. Hi, everybody. This is Martha Creek. I'm absolutely delighted to be here today. I welcome you to the 2020 New Thought Walden Awards podcast series. It is my absolute honor and blessing to be able to be part of this, the nominations of these and these leaders in our world, and to be able to bring recognition and uplift to them and to bring them into your world so that you get a chance to see why we think so highly of them. My name is Martha Creek. You can contact me directly, MarthaCreek.com, if you want to and need to do that. And today I have the distinct honor of talking with Paul Selig, who is the Walden Awards nominee in this year and for uh, work that he's doing in the world that we'll get really into deeply in a minute that goes over and above and beyond anything most of us can comprehend or even uh, certainly understand. And I'll introduce uh, Paul in a minute. And before I do that, I want to say a little bit about the Walden Awards. Um, These have been in effect now for several years. They are administered by a joint partnership of seven of the country's largest New Thought organizations, Affiliated New Thought Network, Agape International Spiritual Center, Association for Global New Thought, Centers for Spiritual Living, Divine Science Federation International, Unity Worldwide Headquarters, and Universal Foundation for Better Living. And the award program honors people who are using empowering spiritual ideas, skills, gifts, talents, philosophies, teachings, to change lives, to transform, and to make our planet, our world, a better place to be. And we absolutely have with us here with Paul Selig, a leader in this, and something way beyond a change agent for that. So, Paul, welcome and thank you unspeakably. My appreciation for you, the work, the teachings, your role in this is inexpressible, so I'll sum it up by saying thank you and ask you to receive it, knowing that that's just a little tip of the iceberg of my real appreciation for you. Oh, thank you, Martha. Thank you for having me. And Paul is considered the foremost spiritual channel working today, one of them, and breakthrough works, including I couldn't even go into listing all the books now because they're coming out so quick that I would miss one of them. I Am the Word is where I started, and I had an absolute cellular shift within my being from that text and from that work. 
Beyond the Known, Realization, Alchemy, Beyond the Known, a trilogy. And then a new one just now that you've just finished on Audible. Is that right, Paul? So I'd like to hear from you what it's been like to be the channel, Paul, for that type of teaching and the way it's pouring through you. I, it's it's hard to describe. It's a part of me wants to say, well, it's a little disconcerting. You know, there are eight books in print with my name on the cover that I didn't write, but I took the dictation for. So on a certain level, I'm, I'm party to this. I'm not the author. I'm the radio that the broadcast comes through. And I've, I've been doing this for, for quite some time, for many years before the guide started dictating the books. I did a little group that met in my apartment, you know, very quietly because I was a college professor at NYU and I was running a graduate program at a at Goddard College in Vermont and I wasn't looking to be known for this work. But now it's what I do. And it's it's funny. It, it it's kind of like being the radio and I describe myself as that and that my work finally is to show up as best I can to facilitate the teachings that come through in this strange way that they come. Well, it's the first time, and I don't know much about, you know, literary worlds or anything like that, Paul. I'm certainly a novice at at most things, frankly, but certainly that. But as I understand it, this material comes through in such a pure state that it goes out into full publication with how many how many thousands millions of copies sold now without requiring editing that's right in any book there might be three words that i mispronounce you know or i speak too quickly or i don't know the word so i say the word that sounds like what i'm hearing and then we can usually find it because when i channel i whisper it and then i repeat the words so you can usually get it all in the whisper so that's it there's no editing at all I mean, I was in um, a recording studio this week, you know, speaking in my own voice, you know, the book that the guides wrote without channeling it, with just sitting there at a microphone reading it. And I was sort of astonished at, at how clear it is. I mean, you wouldn't know that these books aren't even written. They're spoken aloud. And then the recordings are sent to the transcriptionist and um, the chapters are compiled and that's what's sent to the publisher. There's, there's no editing at all. We actually don't allow it. So if they say something, the guide says something that I have a problem with, and that happens with some regularity, I've been known to interrupt the teaching or they'll say, Paul has a question and they'll take the question. Um, and that's my way of, of staying in my integrity with the enormity of the teaching. I mean, I, I don't feel that the teachings are mine at all, um, but I'm party to the transmission because they're they're being spoken through me. So if I have a question, I'm going to ask it, and that's how I stay clean. Yeah, well, that that is another reason. I I mean, I love and appreciate you so much, and in, in in ways, as I said, I can't express. But that is one of the primary reasons of that. That um, you're. <laughs> integrity about this and you're owning what is your part of this and what is not your part and also not to diminish that that I don't ever hear that from you Paul and I think it's important for this interview and for this world and uh, hopefully it's made public through whatever ways you're being interviewed probably (laughs) every day one way or the other and I know that you're written and if it had been featured on tv and nightline and 
Fox News and Biography Channel, The Unexplained, and all sorts of other TV series. And it's important, I believe, to demonstrate here that this is this is coming from someone that was really, would you call yourself left-brained? I mean, an academia, a professor, studied Yale graduate, <laughs> uh, serving NYU, Goddard. I mean, speak about that in terms of what people from the brain scientists would say that the, the capacity for somebody so well-established and well-developed in the intellect and the left brain to have access to this kind of creativity and this kind of openness to something that's, that can't even be comprehended by, uh, by the masses yet or mainstream. Well, you know, I, I don't think I'm very left brain. I was a playwright when I was younger and I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, playwriting was all about hearing voices and giving them voice. And I, when I used to work, when I was a kid, I'd put on one piece of music on loop for hours and hours and hours as I would just sort of let my hands, you know, flow over the typewriter. And what I was doing without knowing it was inducing trance and I was preparing. When I started channeling, I was actually somebody that didn't necessarily believe in it and I wasn't looking to do it. I was volunteering um, at a center for people who were living with life-challenging illness. This was in the 90, early 90s, it was the height of the AIDS epidemic. And I had studied a form of healing, and I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I began to hear things for them. And when they were confirmed, the information that I was getting was being confirmed, I began to trust it, and I began to open up. And the channeling began, you know, thereafter. But how I work now is really very different than how it started. I was hearing initially in fragments. And now I hear entire books, you know. And my life in academia was hugely helpful. Um, I loved teaching. And I, for me, frankly, it was my spiritual practice for many years was showing up for people in that way. And leaving academia was very hard for me because it gave me a sense of identity that was more easily confirmed in the world than what I do now, which some people just think is crazy. And, you know, I suppose I might have thought the same thing, but this is such an organic part of my life. I think that what coming from a traditional background has allowed in some ways is for you know people who might not have been as receptive to the idea of a channeled text um, than they might be to to come to this with some availability. You know, my first publisher at Penguin was very pleased that I was teaching at NYU and I was a Yaley and those things. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think that much of them. But you know, it's what I came with, and I do know that whatever inherent gifts any of us has are used in spirit. So my ability to, to hear voices or to, you know, to render something from outside myself beyond my own sense of personality, respect was already present. Thank you for that. And I, I even caught that, that it's, that's a part of my own um, old paradigm of assuming uh, a left brainness guiding somebody that's that steeped in academia and serving academia in the ways that you did at the depths and level that you did. And it's a perfect example of like a closed mindedness about that or a mindset that's stuck 
in that. So thank you for that and accept my apology if one is due to you. You know, I did a lot of administration in academia for a lot of years at Goddard. So I have, I have that part of me too, and I like it. It grounds me and keeps me comfortable. So you're not yeah. wrong. Mm -hmm. I want to think about, you know, you're described, Paul, as a medium for the living mm -hmm. and that you've made clear here that you hear mm -hmm. uh, for clients, clairvoyancy and that, and that people uh, would have all sorts of notions about that. And I'm absolutely uh, certain that you've bared a lot of heat about this. So to talk about that, like, what's it like to be? Um, in the in the field you are at the level you are in a world that may or may not accept this or see it as um, nonsense or woo woo ish or unbelievable or too mystical um, to bring it into into their own lives. So, what kind of heat have you had to bear as a result of this? Not a lot of that kind of heat. I'm sure that the people that I think are going to dismiss who I am and what I do are going to do it anyway. And that doesn't bother me too much, you know. Um, the medium for the living stuff is interesting because it's not like I'm, I'm contacting people's dead relatives. I'm reading for people. And if I have a client and says, okay, my daughter's 21 and she's miserable, and what do you get? I tune into the daughter. I may start to look like her, and I can hear. And I can translate what I hear to the other person. And there's, it's usually evidential. So... You know, it's not like this is anything that I could look up online. It's just mm -hmm. no. Way. So, you know, and I've been filmed doing it and I've been filmed sort of assuming, you know, the physical expressions. And in one case, fully somatizing somebody who had cerebral, yes. although I didn't know that they did when I started the session. It just happened in the session. So, you know, these things are present. I don't care that much. What I don't like about what I do truthfully, is that people like to project on it whatever they want, you know, and I'm not very woo-woo. I'm a bit of a skeptic myself in some ways, and I do my best to show up for this work as a job. It's what I do. I don't think it makes me special. I'm not asking for attention at that level. I really don't want it, um, but I'm willing to show up and be public at the level that I need to to be effective and to bring this work to others. So I don't love projections, whether it's people, you know, wanting to make me a spiritual teacher or guru, because I'm not, and I don't want to be either of those things, but I'm very happy to show up as I do, or to project their fears of the occult or the unknown. Um, I don't like that either. Um, and some of this just, I suppose, comes with the territory. As, you know, I'm, I'm mostly kind of a quiet guy who likes his, you know, quiet life. And, um, and I maintain that as best I can, but I don't expect the work that comes through me to be for everybody. You know, not everybody's going to pick up a channel text, nor should they necessarily. I hope that the work that comes through is helpful to people. That's the best that I can do. I don't want to be party to anything that wouldn't be helpful and, and good. So I do my job as best I can. Um, and people are going to think what they want. Can't, that's something that I can't control. Well, and God bless you for not taking it on and for um, accepting that it has to be the way it is, too. And you have your own preferences about how it is. I, I did another interview today, Paul, and he described being on purpose in your life mm. as having fun. 
that what you're doing is some fun and that you're growing yourself while you're doing it. And you're certain that it's beneficial to somebody, that there's evidence, evidential, as you said, that it's beneficial to somebody. So speak about that with what is, if you had proof about it's evidential, measured in the amount of books that's been sold, amount the amount of people that fill up rooms every single week when you gather before we were grounded here, mm-hmm. uh, that we're pouring into these rooms, um, what it, what it, would you do, how would you describe your evidence that people are, this is highly beneficial for people? I only know what people say, you know, um, you know, I, 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 there are a lot of reviews on Amazon that are very positive. Most of them are. And, you know, people do come to the workshops regularly and I don't know that they would if they weren't being helped. Um, the guys that I work with are very much about people being in their own authority with their experience. I'm not looking for somebody to give me their authority. I, I, I don't want it. Um, but if people can come to a workshop and have an experience, because the work is highly experiential of the energy of the guides, and the guides attune people and support them in beginning to work with the energy in productive ways, that's something that you can see and feel in the room. And that's palpable. Um, when I'm channeling, I'm slightly removed. I'm like in the back seat of the car. My eyes are closed. Um, you know, it's an interesting list that your other guest read, and I would agree with it all. Um, this, you know, I, I suppose one day I come to a place where I go, oh, this is just joyful, joyful work. And I actually find that it's very challenging work, not the act of channeling itself, which is a skill set at this point, but sort of going along for the ride with the changes that seem to be required. That's hard and not always great fun for me. Um, But maybe that's just my personality type, too, you know. So I trust that people are being, you know, helped and are learning. And I suspect that they wouldn't be buying the books if they didn't. You know, we've moved all the in-person workshops online um, during this time. And, and the, the attendance has been through the roof. I was stunned at how many people um, will come to something like this when it's made available to them. So we're trying to do, you know, more free events, more online workshops that can be available to more people. Um, because these are the times we're sitting in and, and why not, you know, I'm going to work regardless and I'd rather work, you know, for a group of people that want to be there than, you know, sit by myself and in my little rental, you know, where I am right now waiting out the storm in New York. Well, it's that you have, I, I was told this year, you know, this, this, uh, grounding has caused us to be more accessible. And I was struck by that because I believe that I'm accessible. I believe that you are. You're traipsing around every few days somewhere new. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you've got really good at posting false selfies of you on a plane to somewhere. And then groups of 50, 30 to 50 people gathered, you know, to be be in the energy of this. So um, there's something about the stamina that it takes, Paul, the physical stamina for you to continue to do this, as well as the channeling and the skill set development. And all that that's required of you and that it's your job, um, which I really resonate with, that I believe we are on an assignment here. We're in an assignment 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's about being joyful, joyful, joyful all the time or, or digging it. I think there's things that are required in the physical that yeah. um, some of us are not going to find joyful and we're still going to do them to fulfill the calling that we have or the assignment that we're on. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for that. And I thank you also that you and your staff and team was willing and, and supportive of getting people connected to you and getting these teachings out to them in a way that they would not have ever been able. Some folks would not have ever been able to be with you physically. Yeah, no, I'm happy about it. I mean, I was I for eight years, I was traveling pretty continually. Last few years, I was on the road easily half the year doing doing workshops. And um, and I enjoyed that, you know, and it was nice to see the groups grow. And it was, you know, nice to to finally let that become a new normal. And as soon as it became a new normal, you know, it all stopped. And I'm in Maui right now, you know, for I've been here for a couple of months and I haven't barely traveled outside of the cottage that I'm staying in um, to do anything or see anybody. And this has been helpful, too. It's really been an opportunity to reflect. And as I said, I'm able to do my work from wherever I am. So I'm fortunate in that way. And I know not all people are. So, you know, it's what it is. This is this is the life that I seem to be having. It's not the life that I expected. If somebody told me 20 years ago that this is what I would be doing, I would have thought that they were crazy. And 30 years ago, I wouldn't have even listened past the first sentence. I had, you know, I was, you know, born, raised something of an atheist. So it wasn't until my mid-20s when I began to open up spiritually and psychically that any of this even became a potential. That was one of the questions that was on my mind today, that if I'd have shown you a a glimpse of your life up here, way back there, how much of it could you have believed? If I'd have said even you'll have a a book will come through you that can that will be put in print and sold by the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions without any editing. Could you even believe that one thing about your life? No. You know, but I found a piece of writing, and I don't do automatic writing, but once I did, that I did about, uh, I don't know, maybe six months, four months before the first book was dictated. And it said pretty much, I am going to be writing a book that requires no editing. Now, I had had the worst writer's block of anybody I've ever met in my life. And when the guide said, you know, we have a book to bring through and it's going to take two weeks... I thought that was nuts, but at that moment, I agreed to show up for it, and that was the book, I Am the Word. I didn't know that it was coming until two days before we started the sessions of dictation for that one, and it took, you know, two and a half weeks because I took two days off to go teach at NYU, and that was it, but no, I wouldn't have agreed. Um, I mean, I remember at the height of my writer's block, which was brutal, especially because I was teaching writing and I was incapable of doing it for a while. Um, I remember asking the guides, am I ever going to write a book? And I heard some crazy number like, you know, I don't know, 12, 12 or something. I thought, this is nuts. I'm not going to live that long to get 12 books written. Um, So I dismissed it. And now in the last 10 years, there have been eight you know, and uh, they're, they're very prolific. And as long as I'm willing to sit in the chair and take the dictation. But it's funny because it's it's about getting out of the way. It's not about me being a writer. I don't, perhaps one day I will write something myself. That might be a good thing for me to do at some point. 
and rediscover that part of me. But right now I'm, I'm comfortable with what this odd occurrence is. Um, do you think that your guides are going to stay out of the way long enough for you to write a book? I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've got another one due at the end of September and it's now June and I haven't started. They haven't started. I don't even know the title yet. You know, my editor is saying your publisher is wanting the title of the next book. And I'm starting a, a five day online seminar on Thursday this week. And I'm hoping sort of sort of that the guides start the book there because they've done the last three or four books, you know, fully in front of students. Um, and another part of me hopes that they wait until I'm sort of settled someplace with really good Internet or I'm able to go back to doing live events, which is where I like to do the dictations. Um, but I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's I have no clue. After that, that'll be the ninth book in the third trilogy. And um, I don't know if there's another one after that or not. I assume they're not going to shut up if they don't have to. <laughs> and willing to continue, they'll continue. Um, every time they finish a book, I think, well, there's nothing else for them to say. And I've thought that at the end of every book they've dictated. And there usually is. So I'll know when I know and probably not a moment before I'm supposed to. Of these different, um, um, what would you call them, Paul Arenas? you got live events, now online events, virtual events, certainly uh, the writing that's coming through you uh, that I experience as the teaching, you refer to it as the teachings that are coming out. So a lot of books and publishing and publication. You also have private sessions and appointments with people that have been life changing for them and how much of your time is spent there. Um, what, how much do you consider like what's your job here? Uh, is it split up like that? Is it compartmentalized or siloed like that as far as what you're going to do and, and how that's divided up? It's not really intentional. Um, I'm doing more private readings now than I was because I'm stationary. I'm not traveling all over the place. Um, and when I was when my, my rule has been is that when I'm on the road and doing workshops, I'm not speaking to people one on one. So I, it's not really compartmentalized. I don't have a personal life right now. I kind of wish I did. And I think if I did, I might work a little bit less. But, you know, I don't have to prepare for what I do. I've got a channel this afternoon. I've got a live stream seminar at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's, it's mid-afternoon for me here in Hawaii. And in likelihood, I will five minutes before close my eyes and get ready. And then whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And then when it's over... I'll either go to the beach or have lunch or, or do something that I can do for myself. So it's not, it's not a hard life, I have to say. Um, it's easier right now than it is getting on a plane all over the place. And I'm liking, truthfully, being in a very peaceful place. Um, and this is the longest I've been in one place probably in eight years um, for a period of time. I've been here, you know, two and a half months and um, I'm resting in a way that I never have. So I think after all that travel I was due and um, I'm taking advantage of, of this sort of enforced respite. Well, I'm, I'm um, grateful for that too, Paul. And I just have a, I can't compare to what you were doing, but from my own travel schedule, 
mm-hmm. and and how much I love it, and I look forward to it, and that, and I also know that there's a toll, physical, mental toll. So the arena of the Walden Awards that you were um, recognized in is mind-body connection and healing, mm-hmm. and I think it's a profound. Um, opportunity for people to connect with you in that way that I've never met anybody regardless of what they were into that that wasn't into mind body connection mm-hmm. and healing and mm-hmm. that you the teachings your right the, the writings the teachings the books your sessions um, have 100 percent and 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 in my experience and I realize there's always exceptions and extremes um, have been so healing, affirming, confirming, acknowledging for people that um, it is truly a gift and it's a gift to those that you are serving. And I, I, I just want you somehow to take that into your bones, the difference that you are making in lives and this extraordinary way that you have, the extraordinary programs you have, the online series, all of that. And that it is a catapult for evolution, for humankind's awakening to its divine nature through your purpose as a as a human and through the, the divinity of you that is moving that. So um, I also want you to, of course, take good care of you and uh, be as generous to yourself as you are with us and as you are to other humans. And I want other folks to be able to find you. So Paul is at um, paulselig.com. That's S-E-L-I-G-P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G, paulselig.com. How to contact him, how to get into these programs, how to get enrolled, how to get the books, and how to get a private session in reading with him, um, how to see where he's been, what he's done, the recordings of him, all of it's there, all the media and all that. And I highly, highly recommend it for any of you listening. And I um, want to thank you again, Paul, from on behalf of the Walden Awards. And I want to thank you on behalf of New Thought and the New Thought movement and organizations that are leading and how you have also served them and continue to. And all of you listeners there, remember to tell your friends they can listen to this podcast series on demand at unityonlineradio.org, unityonlineradio.org. And also, of course, subscribe to the series, which will be coming out over a period of six weeks uh, later in the year and um, through your own favorite apps, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever it is. So until we meet again, Paul Selig, uh, Godspeed, joy, enjoy, and... Um, t- take good care and I'll see you as uh, soon as we're able in person again I look forward to it thank you yeah blessings all the way we hope you enjoyed this interview with one of this year's New Thought Walden Awards honorees if you know someone who's making a difference in our world and you would like to nominate them for 2021 please visit waldenawards.com
Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.